All right, now I'm live. Is it working? No. It's not working? Yeah, I emailed you the link. Oh, wait a minute. Now it says I can tap here to send a super chat or tap here to call in. Call in. Call in. Yeah, that's it. Okay. I guess I'm in now. Can you hear me? Um, do you have? It says Radio Tide is joined. That's okay. Great. It says you've entered the live studio, but on my end, it's saying, "Huh." Do I need to? Well. I'm on the phone with you. Do I need to hang up and then call maybe, you? maybe, maybe, maybe. Let me try. Oh, no, it. You're on it. You're on it. Oh, we're on it. Okay. I think. Hold on. Hear me. Hear me. Mute. Hello. Hello. Check. Uh, one, two, three, four. Testing. One, two, three, four. I can't hear John. Okay. Um. Are you on the screen? That says, what, like, call number one, call number two. Yes. Hit, click, click the number one. Okay. Headphones required. Please plug in a headset to enable the call-in feature. Do you have earbuds with a microphone or anything like that? I have earbuds um, in my car. Because, um, <laughs> Wireless ones, I assume those will work, won't they? Yeah, they'll work. All right, give me, give me just a minute. We'll get this figured out. Eventually. We'll get it figured out. I may have.
Hello? Can you hear me? Is it possible we got it to work? Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? You're coming you hear, through. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Good deal. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah we can hear each other now. I've got five minutes uh, of dead air. I'm sure your ratings will skyrocket. They will skyrocket. And if you're listening, we are now recording. Uh, this is Cummins' is culture, and we're not professionals. We're not. I mean, this is all thrown together and thrown together and thrown together, and we'll just find a way to make it work with rubber bands and duct tape. Well, you, but, well, I'm one of your older guests, so I may not be as tech-savvy as your normal podcast guests, so I'll, I'll take uh, the lion's share of the blame. You're you're the first one. I, I I wanted to have you sitting across from me, but it's sort of my fault because, you know, I I didn't get everything set up right. But you know, Labor Day just throwed a monkey wrench in the whole deal. <laughs> That's okay, no problem. We we got it down now. Yeah, we're good. I can hear you fine. My wife just commented and says I can hear you both. So, uh, what I wanted to get to. Is everybody for everybody who doesn't know by now who heard that kerfuffle we just went through? Uh, this is Cummings' is culture. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and I think this might go on Pandora today. I'm pretty sure I got an email earlier. Um, you can actually say, Hey, Alexa, play a Cummings' is culture, and she'll play us. But our guest That's today, awesome. yep, our guest today is John Pilati of the Franklin Free Press, and of WGOL Radio. So, John, how are you? I'm doing fine. Glad to be with you. I, I, I think before a couple weeks ago when, um, when we talked about doing this, the last time I talked to you might have been when you were 10 and you were on my Little League team. Yeah, I was on your Little League team. Man, we had some good times on that Little League team. <laughs> those, those were... Um, let me tell you, back at that time, I was still a district attorney in our county, and there was um, there was no more pressure trying to beat a David Ward coach team than there was getting ready to <laughs> try a case. It, it was a it was a war in Little League and its heyday back then. Uh, Greg Bachelor team was hard to beat. Too. Or Greg Bachelor, yeah. Amazingly, they. Always had players the the players who weren't as good not show up to the big games, <laughs> uh, but that was a long time ago. We 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 digress. Yeah, well, John, for the people who don't know, the people who don't know, how did you grow up? Uh, I grew up actually in New Orleans and Houston, Texas. My father was in the oil business. My parents met at the University of Alabama in the 1950s. My father was from New York, and he was he went to a school that was good uh, that had a good geology program in the University of Alabama. My mother was a Russellville native; she was a Woodruff, and uh, she earned a scholarship to Alabama. And they met down there, and his oil career dictated where we lived. Um, 
up until my parents retired in 1989 and decided to move back to my mother's hometown of Russellville. And I was in law school at the time and I decided to come back to Russellville. And um, that's how I ended up here. And Russellville was always a summer visiting spot for us growing up to go see my grandparents on my mother's side. We, she lived on North Jackson and we'd walk up, you're too young to remember this, but we'd walk up to VL Franks's store, which is now the Pilgrim's barbecue and mm-hmm. buy candy and ice cold bottled Cokes and the slushy cooler. And, um, we'd go fishing during the day and, and that was about it. And my grandmother would, would cook good food for us. <laughs> so when you came back to Russellville, um, did you immediately run for district attorney or how did that work? No, I, I worked with a law firm here with Danny McDowell for about six years. And in 1998, I was elected as district attorney and I served about five and a half years. Oh, no. We've got another kerfuffle. Here's what I've been doing ever since. So it, my undergraduate degree. Your is, audio's going in and out. Hey, can you hear me now? Is that better? Jeremy, can you hear me now? Hello? Okay. Yeah, your that, audio's going, coming right. in and out. I think somebody had called my phone. That probably messed it up. Um, oh, okay. I And I, I started the Franklin Free Press in 2007 and my undergraduate degrees in journalism. So it's, um, of course, right in line with what I studied to do, but um, never expected to get back into newspaper and into the radio business. But I enjoy it. It's just... Um, you know, it, it took some getting used to because it was a unexpected career change. But, you know, that when you deal with adversity in life, you either adjust to it and do the best you can or you sit and wallow in anger and self-pity and and destroy yourself from the inside. So um, I enjoy what I'm doing. And uh, the newspaper business is challenging because of the you know continued development of the internet and people relying on social media for news but i hope jeremy that small town community newspapers will still be around for a while i think they will but why i've I've got this question from somebody somebody knew that you were coming on and they wanted me to ask you ask you this question why free well when we Jason Houston, who previously had worked for the Franklin County Times, which was the only paper before we started in Russellville, and I got together in 07 and came up with the concept of what we wanted to do. And at that time, the the other paper was coming out three times a week, believe it or not, and charging people 75 cents and each issue. And they had a 
subscription rate of about 2,000 folks. And we decided sort of like the Courier Journal concept in Lauderdale and Colbert County, we decided to start a concept of mass mailing a paper out to everybody for people in particular who didn't either couldn't afford to subscribe to a paper or didn't. And the difference, primary difference between our paper and the Courier Journal is we're full of news and sports while the Courier Journal is sort of a shopper. So we came up with that concept and that's why it's, that's why it's a free paper. We thought that would be attractive to advertisers. And it is, of course, the problem is when you print a color paper and mail it out without subscription income, it's a tight margin right off the bat. But um, for many, many people, the Franklin Free Press is the only paper that they ever see. It goes, we, we send out to about 10,000 addresses each week. So, um, mm. you know, a lot of folks, and we know if they don't get their paper on Wednesday by the number of phone calls we get that people enjoy reading it. And um, that's why we set it up as a free paper. Yeah, that's the only paper that I ever like lay my hands on because like we're in the age of technology and everything's right. through a phone. And that's the that's the only paper I lay my hands on. If anybody wants if anybody out there that's actually listening to this, if you want to follow the Franklin Free Press, you can do that on Facebook and Twitter at FC Good News. Right. And we also have a, a new phone app. Um, you actually search Franklin Free Press and you can download our phone app and get breaking news and um, sports and so forth. And then we have a big social media presence on um, Facebook and, and Twitter. We posted a, I had a picture sent to me this morning of a very large bobcat that was found dead on the side of the road over on Carroll Street downtown. And I posted that picture. It was actually sent to me from by our district attorney, Joey Russian. And I've seen that we had several people comment must be a slow news day. And I let the first couple of those go by. And about the third one had posted that I responded that in less than three hours, 4,000 people had viewed this post. So um, it's not that slow of a news day. Now that we're on the news, let me ask you another question that somebody has asked me to ask you. Mm-hmm. Since you're a local paper, does the term fake news bother you? You know, it does, actually, uh, because the local news that that we write about, I write all of our news stories. Brady Petrie does our sports. I write our news. And, you know, one of the advantages I have with a legal background and having been in elected office is a understanding of a lot of things that happen in local government that perhaps other reporters don't. And when I write something, it's, you know, it's not fake news. It's been checked and it's accurate. And that's our paper's reputation that's on the line. Mm-hmm. What I, what you find in our world today is any story that people don't like, or don't agree with, and this COVID-19 pandemic is at the forefront of that. When they don't like something that you report, 
that's the immediate response. Well, it's it's fake news. It's fake news. Um, or we'll have people, you know, we do a daily update that I post the number of people in the county who've tested positive, how many total tests there have been, what our 14-day total is. And there are people who will just get on there and attack. And, and why don't, you know, why don't yeah. you say this is good news? Why don't you tell how many people have recovered? Look, it's not our job to spin the COVID-19 epidemic into a positive news story. We all want it to go away, but the reality is it's the prevalent news story of this year and perhaps beyond, and the numbers are what they are. And you can interpret that we're getting better or worse, but yes, fake, fake, screaming fake news on Facebook is a good way to have your post deleted. Yeah, I, I, We'll I, engage... Absolutely. We'll engage in discussion about stories, but just somebody just because I feel like that cuts at the heart of the the credibility of the paper. Yeah, I had seen a post where you were talking about one day where you had uh, posted the actual numbers for Franklin County, and you were you were saying that you know like them or, or or hate them, you know like this post or hate it, you have to agree that the numbers are trending in the wrong direction. And I seen that you were getting so much hate on that. And I actually commented on that post stating, you know, that if you want to see how dumb we're acting to the coronavirus here, go to Walmart, man. Them people are not wearing masks or sneezing all over everything. And they just act like this is nothing. And they don't realize that, you know, I said this two days ago, you know, if, if you think that COVID-19 is not a real thing, and you think that it's not killing people, then why don't you go tell that to the 100? Uh, last I checked was 186,000 people that have died. Why don't you go tell their families that it's not a real thing? And here in Franklin County, just to put some, uh, uh, some locality on the numbers, we have 28 confirmed deaths from COVID-19 in our county since March 1st. The April 27th, 2011 tornado, which we all agree was a, a natural disaster that hit the Phil Campbell East Franklin area, 27 people were killed in that tornado. So we've surpassed the uh, April 2011 tornado death total. Uh, this is a this is real and people can wish it away and you can dismiss it. And people in your age group tend to do that because you're younger, you're healthier. You don't think about your mortality, but the, then you have people because this is an election year who believe there's political motivation or ties to COVID-19. Uh, you know, I, I think, the one conspiracy thing I guess you might say that I believe is I think the Chinese grossly underreported how many of their own citizens had it and died from this disease. But as far as uh, just scoffing at it and dismissing it as, as fake or exaggerated, it's not. I had coronavirus in May and my wife did too. And, uh, Fortunately, we didn't have a life-threatening case of it, but it's nothing to to scoff at, and it's nothing you want to mess with. Um, and when you look at the, you know, the the way our numbers shot up in the months of June and July here in this county, 
like you said, people just weren't taking it seriously. I think that has changed to some degree. Um, and now we've got kids back in school, so you better take it seriously if you're a parent because you don't know what your child would be exposed to if your school officials aren't following the required protocol. Yeah, they're, they're also saying that, um, that, that they believe that COVID causes a, a disease like Kawasaki disease in children. And if those children was to get something like that, I mean, there's people that scream about abortion and they're pro-life, but they're like, it, it gets to me so bad when they say I'm pro-life, but you're only pro-life up to birth. And then after birth, you don't care anymore. And that's one thing that really irks me. Like now we have people that, that are like, let them go to school. No, they don't need to wear a mask. They don't need a social distance. Yeah, but these kids could get it and they could die. I mean, I've seen five-year-olds die of terrible diseases that normally we see 60-year-olds die of. And when you're dealing with a disease for which there's no vaccine and no cure, you know, we how can we be confident that we've mastered all the ways that you can contract it? So you know, you better be careful with it because it's deadly. Just look at Burns Nursing Home or Terrace Manor Nursing Home. And I know that's an elderly segment of our population, but we had outbreaks in both of those facilities that were started by an employee introducing it because that employee's spouse was positive and they didn't know it and they carried the virus into the nursing home and bam, all of a sudden, 50 people, employees and residents have it. And you've got, you know, eight to nine dying inside a nursing home. You, you better take that seriously because kids, especially younger kids, spread communicable diseases just like the elderly do because they're in so such close contact with each other. And um, you end up with a situation like... Uh, East Franklin School, where it was closed for two weeks because of uh, positive COVID-19 diagnoses. Well, let me ask you something about this now, since we're on the COVID. Um, how has COVID affected the free press, if at all? Uh, significantly in, in two ways. The first way is financially, it's been devastating if you remember school basically let out in early march which was right around the start of baseball season russellville high school has an outstanding baseball program that's won three out of the last five state titles and we carry baseball the baseball games on our station uh, when the season was canceled that was a significant revenue loss. Uh, and then as far as the radio station and the paper, when you start having businesses closing or businesses feel like, you know, the state's closing in on them, tell them they have to close or they can't sell this or they can only be open this many hours. One of the first things they, they reduce in their spending is advertising. So it was a, absolute gut punch as far as revenue and i i will say the ppe uh stimulus was a big help a small business 
administration loan helped keep us going as well. So financially, it was devastating. And then, but we're still here. And uh, hopefully we'll be here for for many years. We reduced the size of the paper uh, to 16 pages. We do about the first 10 news, the last six are sports. Um, and we're just, we're, we're keeping expenses as minimal as possible, but we're still going, fortunately. And the other way, it's had a big impact. It doesn't matter what story I write. I, I would before we got on this podcast. I was writing an article about the Russellville City Schools budget for the next year. I was writing a story about um, earlier this morning uh, about a bison or about Chamber of Commerce awards that had been presented. It doesn't matter what the story is this year. It has a COVID-19 tie to it. Either it's an event that's been canceled or altered because of the coronavirus, or it's a story about how people are reacting or protecting themselves and changing their normal course of standard operating procedure, whether it's a school, a business, a, a governmental building, because of coronavirus. I don't think I've written a, the only story I can sit here and think that I haven't typed COVID-19 in the middle of that article somewhere. I did a story not long ago on, on weeds that grow in Alabama waterways. And I don't think I mentioned <laughs> coronavirus and that, but other than that, literally everything else has a tie to coronavirus. Uh, did the Terry Bolton article have a, <laughs> well, I consider that one uh, was sort of a, a opinion or editorial column. So, okay. no, it didn't. Uh, although it, it, I didn't mention in the article, but I and I don't know that he would have won anyway, but Terry is retired, and one advantage he would have had over his two opponents is he's always gone door-to-door -door in the past when he's ran. Of course, you couldn't do that because of people's concern over the coronavirus so it had a COVID-19 connection but no I don't think I mentioned it he did he did go door to door he was did he uh, still? yeah he was in my neighborhood he actually came and talked to me okay. uh, right before the election uh, he was out putting door hangers on and, and and or whatever you call them and people were out talking to him but he did do some door to door uh, that was a, he's a good guy he's run enough elections where he's probably not going to run again and he never won, but he's very active and, and we need people like that in our community. He's at just about every county commission and city council meeting that there is. I go to all of them to report on them, obviously. And Terry's there. Um, he is a, he's a super guy. And sometimes I tell him, the fact that you didn't win and didn't get into elected office, I can tell you from experience, that's not all a bad thing. Just stay involved like you are and, um, and you can contribute in other ways. How difficult is it? Like when you go to those city council or commissioners meetings, like if they do something that you want to comment on, how difficult is it to get them to comment on something? Um, if it's, 
good news, it's not difficult at all. Uh, you know, when we when we have a meeting where Pilgrims is donating three hundred nine thousand dollars for a splash pad, or a local family is donating land for a uh, future home of a library, they all want to talk. But then when you ask the question, okay. They're donating the land for the library. How are we going to pay for the construction of a library, which may cost a million dollars? They're not as eager to talk. Um, those are harder questions. What but shouldn't we, they? Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, and I think I'm more professional and sensitive to, you know, not trying to make an elected official look bad in the paper because I was one myself and I don't want to do that to anybody, but there are, I'll give you an example. There are times when if you don't comment, the negative effect of that is significantly more than if you do comment on a bad situation. A couple of weeks ago in East Franklin school closed for two weeks, I called the county superintendent, who's a good friend of mine, and said, man, I, I know East Franklin's closed. I need, you know, I need you to comment on why it was closed. Was it a student, a number of students, or what happened? Who was positive? Well, I just can't comment on that. I, and I told Greg, I said, you know, if you don't comment on this, it's just going to fan the flames of gossip with people, and they're going to think, Y'all are covering up something. And, you know, I said, I don't want you to violate any HIPAA regulations, but I think coming out and saying we had a, you know, a third grader test positive or whatever the case was is a lot better than saying nothing. But uh, he didn't agree with me. So I, I wrote the story and we went on. But most of the time they know, um, you know, they, they don't like talking about bad news or negative news, but they know that um, at least what I what they tell me is going to be reported accurately, and I'm not going to try to embarrass them, and that goes a, a long way. But um, I called a guy in Montgomery today about a, a investigation, the story tip I had about a local water board, and. Um, Guy in Montgomery wouldn't talk to me. You got to talk to my supervisor. And I asked him a real general question. I said, okay, I understand you can't talk about what's going on up here, but can you tell me what the Rural Water Association does in Alabama, what your role is in our state? No, I can't do that. I said, you can't explain to me what your job is? No, you'll have to talk to my supervisor. So sometimes it gets carried to extremes, but you know, that's just part of it. Well, I, I'm sort of seeing your side of it because I've invited politicians to be on this. And I mean, if you can't go door to door and knock, I don't think there's a better platform right now. I mean, Gosh, other no. than, other than your paper, because I, I can, I can actually air this live, John, and I can allow people to comment and they can sit here across from me and they can answer questions. So, I mean, I've invited two local politicians. I haven't I haven't invited District One because I'm trying to stay out of that because I, I can't be impartial. And I, right. I wanna I wanna stay impartial and I wanna be fair and I just wanna be honest. And I've invited, you know, two of them to be on 
to be on here and they can sit across from me and they can read these people's questions and they can take them because I mean, there's a lot of people that's not going to answer the door. They don't care about your flyer you're putting on their door. They, they, they want to hear you. So, I I mean, I sort of see what you're talking about now. I mean, before I just thought, you know, Oh, well they're covering up for themselves, and that, you know, when you refuse to comment, like you said, that gives Huddy material. Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of what, of course, I go on his show every yeah. Wednesday, and people say, why do you go on another radio station? He and I have been friends for years, and I, when I was in elected office, Huddy had a TV show. That was long before he had a radio station. Um, he did a TV show on that gospel TV station Russell has, mm-hmm. and I would go on that show. I just... I would, Bill Moss and I, who was a superintendent of education at the time, were the only two elected officials who would appear. And I just always told him, I said, I, my only ground rule is I can't talk about a active case, and I don't want to. I don't want to have you running down other elected officials while I'm on the show. Other than that, anything else is fair game. But you know, if someone in elected office won't take your phone call won't answer your question, um, there, there's a problem there. Either they're, they don't think your time is important enough to justify a response, or they've got something to hide. I think I was probably the other extreme. I was probably too open as a, a elected official, but I'd rather have transparency than elected official because the public feels... Jeremy, they feel very detached from people in the courthouse who are elected. They feel like it's an ivory tower and and Mm -hmm. those folks don't think their time is important. And, you know, I think when it's not fun when you have to call a constituent and tell them, I can't do what you want me to do, but let me explain why and let's see if we can come up with another idea. But that's part of being in an elected office. If you don't want to have to deal with that, don't run for public office. Accessibility. Um, we have a secretary of state in Alabama, John Merrill, who is a friend of mine, and I can call him right now, and he'll either answer his phone or he'll call me back within 20 minutes. And this is one of our state's top elected officials, and he's taking time to call a reporter back in Franklin County, uh, and it doesn't matter what I ask him, he's going to answer it or he's going to find the answer and he's going to get back to me. And I think you have an obligation to be available to the people you represent. If you have a problem with a city councilman or you have a problem in your district and you call your city councilman and he or she doesn't call you back, what's that telling you? Yeah, that's uh, that that's been a problem here for a while. I can, you know, there's there's going to be people that listen to this that don't know exactly, you know, about the area. But this probably applies. I used to think it only applied here, but I, the more people I talk to, I'm finding out that this stuff goes all over. It it goes on all over this country. Oh sure, um, at the grassroots level too, at a local level and city and county government. I mean, those folks are your friends, neighbors. They ought to be the most accessible 
you know, I understand if you're trying to call Senator Shelby or Senator Jones that, you know, it may take a while for somebody to get back to you, but you expect that your city councilman or your county commissioner will respond to you. And, uh, you know, it's, like I said, it's not fun. I had people, I would have people complain all the time. Oh, you know, y'all let everybody off with a slap on the wrist. <laughs> then, then their nephew gets busted for drugs and they come up there and he's a good boy. We need to give him a break, you know? So <laughs> it, it's all about the, you know, your perspective, but to have to sit down with somebody and explain to them why you can't help their loved one out or why you're going to have to go forward with a case to try to send them to prison or you have to sit down with a constituent and explain to them why a stop sign can't be erected at the corner by their property or whatever the situation is that they're asking about. Nobody promised you when you ran for office that everything was going to be a cushy photo opportunity. There are times when you have to be able to explain to folks honestly what can and can't be done. I think if you're honest about doing that, people may not like the end result, but at least they're going to say, well, he called me back and took the time to answer my question, so I'll give him credit for that. And the ones who don't do that, they need to go. Yeah, that that's that that's getting on the line. Uh, that's borderline ridiculous that you want to represent the people but you don't want to answer to the people. Like right. I I don't understand that. Are are you there to collect a paycheck for the notoriety? What is it? I I just don't. And you've had more dealings with them than I have with any of those politicians than I have. So and I don't when- that's right. You're right. That's that's part of running for office. And when you're in the media, it's even magnified because um, not only are they talking to you, but you write a story and, you know, several thousand other people are going to read it. But uh, you've got to the easiest thing to do in the world is not return phone messages and just, oh, that person will forget about it. And they won't forget about it when they call when they call someone who they voted for to represent them and that person doesn't take the time to call them back, I promise you they're, they're not going to forget about that. No, they're, they're, they're not. And, um, I don't think that they realize when they do stuff like that, that you can be beaten. Like it, it, it can be over as quick as you got it. It can be gone. And, uh, We've seen some upsets, sorta here, uh, in our area. But we've seen Nate. We've seen statewide upsets. I never would have believed that Doug Jones would have beaten Roy Moore, even as bad of a candidate as Roy Moore was. I never would have believed Doug Jones would have beat him. No, I. I was even with everything that had happened with the Moore campaign in the days leading up to the election. That was still a surprise. And you know, just to uh, throw out a public service announcement on your podcast. I get people who, you know, my tenants will come in or rental property and I'll ask them, have they voted? I don't, I don't mess with that. My vote doesn't matter anyway. Get so tired of hearing that. Take the Russellville city council district two race uh, 
that we just had on August 26th, Aaron Woodruff and William Nail. Mm-hmm. Only two candidates, so you assume there's a winner and a loser. No, tied, 154 to 154. So, and I talked to one of my tenants the other day. I said, did you go vote? No, I I couldn't. Um, it was raining that afternoon, and... Um, I, I just didn't go out and someone else, you know, well, I'd wanted to, but I didn't know when the election was. One person would have decided that race one way or the other. So you don't think your vote counts, particularly in a local election. You were very wrong because one person's vote would, would have decided that election. Instead, the same two candidates are having a runoff six weeks later. If they tie again, it's going to be decided by a coin flip, right? Well, the first option, if they tie again, is it goes to the Russellville City Council, which has the option to vote and break the tie. If the Russellville City Council declines to do that, or I guess ended in a tie vote itself, then probate judge would flip a coin in the presence of the two candidates. If I was Russellville City Council, I would not. I, I wouldn't vote on it. I just wouldn't because, like, if you pick the incumbent, you look like you, you give the other guy fire to run the next time. Right. If you pick the if you pick the the new guy, you're like they're like there's going to be people saying, "Oh, there, look, he's in bed with them." You know. Either way, you lose. But let me. I think I would just stay out of it if I was a Russellville City Council, but that's my opinion. In my opinion, though, if it ties, and I'm not going to say what I think they'll do, although I'm pretty sure I know what they do, if it ends up in a tie, the Russellville City Council will make that decision, I believe. I think that's just terrible press. Like that's You're going to get blasted. Either way, you're up. You're a loser on that. I agree with you, but I, I don't know that that would stop them from from going ahead and, and casting the deciding votes. Yeah, I, I would much rather live with a coin flip because it's a 50-50 shot than sit there and say, you know, because that, that essentially, the people that do go out and vote, if they do decide that, that makes all their votes irrelevant to me. Uh, and that, that's the way those people are going to feel, and that's going to discourage people from voting. And people are always looking for a reason not to vote. All you need is something like that 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 usurps the trust of the voters, and I guarantee there'll be people who won't go back and vote because of what happened that previous time. They just don't think it's worth it. Uh, yeah, I would just stay out of that. I, there's no way I would put my finger anywhere near that. By the way, uh, absentee voting for the November general election is underway as well. If if you want to vote in the presidential race or the U.S. Senate race, all you need is your photo ID. You can go to the Franklin County Courthouse now and cash, not now at the moment because they're closed for the weekend, but... <laughs> Any time during uh, normal business hours, Monday through Friday, to the circuit clerk's office and cast your vote uh, in this election year because of COVID-19, the absentee rules have been relaxed by the Secretary of State to where any Alabama 
voter can vote early. All you have to do is just show up and do it. So you can get that out of the way long before uh, November 4th and uh, and get your voting done at the courthouse. Now, speaking of that, did you see where Trump got like his second Nobel Peace Prize nomination? I did see that. Uh, I also saw a story today in addition to that that uh, the the forecast on electoral votes is now swinging back toward the president. He was considered to be a good bit behind, and now they've they've made Florida a toss-up state again and Nevada a toss-up state. So Trump's coming back to the middle again as far as improving on his chances of winning. And we've still got two months, so... I think by election day, that will be an incredibly close race. I don't. I think when the I think when the debates happen, I think that the majority of Americans are going to be sitting there watching those debates because I mean, my God, you've had no football. You've had you've pretty much had no entertainment in twenty twenty, and you're going to be sitting there and Joe Biden is going to debate Donald Trump, and I just don't see. I just don't see Joe Biden handling that very well. I just, I just don't. Well, keep this in mind. You know, people say I've heard a lot of people who don't like President Trump say, "Oh, he'll get killed in the debates because he doesn't really know what's going on." And Biden's more informed. Well, maybe, but what Donald Trump has that Joe Biden doesn't have is Donald Trump has television experience. He knows how to entertain people, and he knows how to, this is very important in politics, play to his base. So he may get asked, I would hate to be a moderator for that debate because I don't think the president will directly answer any question he's asked, but he's going to say things that appeal to his base and uh, will create the passion and excitement of those who support him. And I think he will uh, have an edge as far as communication ability over Joe Biden. So don't be so quick. Those who think that Biden will have an edge in debates. Trump is an entertainer at heart and the American public wanted somebody outside of the political norm. That's why he won four years ago. So I agree with you. I, I think he's got an edge when it comes to uh, debates. I think I think what's going to happen is the first thing Trump's going to say when they're on the stage together and they're introducing themselves is it, going to be his first line. Like It's a, so much of a Donald Trump thing to do. I think what he's going to do, he's going to look at Joe Biden and be like, wow, he finally got out of his basement. Right. I think he's going right. to start out with a one-liner. I mean, I just think that he's just going to just – just roast Joe Biden. I think that's all Trump has to do is just roast him. It doesn't matter about the issues. People just want to be entertained. That's what not just politics, but almost all phases of our country are now. Look at news. We don't want, I mean, when I was a little kid, my dad would come home from work and watch the NBC nightly news and the news wasn't slanted. It, it was just news. Now, if you're a conservative, you want to watch uh, 
Fox News or one of those conservative channels because you want to hear news spun in the political direction that you lean. If you're a liberal, you're going to watch news on MSN in your direction. And what happened to just reporting the news? Now it's reporting the news with the twist on it to cater to the audience that that channel attracts. And that's not news. That's just entertainment. It's like the Atlantic article. I talked about that the other day. Um, I thought it was so convenient that this anonymous source comes out and says that Donald Trump says this about the troops. Okay, Nancy Pelosi, the story, it was two days difference. The story came out on Nancy first of her walking into the salon, and then the two salon. days later, yeah, the, two days later, the story comes out on Trump. I mean, I think, especially like the Atlantic, I trust nothing the Atlantic says. I have caught them lying 17 times personally. And I, I, I just do not trust the Atlantic. I don't think they're reputable. I just I, I, I don't advise anybody to read something that, that they sit there and they look at and they're like, oh, you should vote for this person because, all right, Trump does some stupid stuff, all right? And I, I'm the, you know, I, I, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. I can't vote for Joe Biden. I just can't vote for him. I don't think he'll be the president. I don't think he's competent enough to be president. And I don't think that he's, I don't think that, I, I don't even really believe that Biden wants to be the president. Well, I'll tell you one thing I think is interesting uh, about Joe Biden is this is really the first presidential candidate I can remember that I think is running with the likelihood that he will not run for a second term. I think um, that's part of yeah. what was attractive to Kamala Harris about accepting the vice presidential nomination on his ticket is if you're the vice president and Joe Biden wins, I think you, you're the front runner in four years because I'm not convinced that he'll be able to serve two terms. Um, I don't think he's able to serve one. I don't think you'll be able to serve one. And, uh, you know, all, presidential politics in our state is, it's not really that interesting to discuss anyway, because we're an over, we have the largest approval rating <laughs> of President Trump of any U.S. state. We're going to vote overwhelmingly uh Republican and the unfortunately the side effect of that is the candidates don't spend a lot of time in our state because they both kind of know it's going to default to the Republicans. This to me, if I said this and I don't know how many people agreed with me, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but it's my opinion. I think Tulsi Gabbard was the candidate they should have put up. And I think she would have mopped the floor with Donald Trump. She was never really um, in the mix, though, as far as, I mean, she was always considered a, a, a peripheral candidate who didn't have a, you know, 
much of a shot. It was it was down pretty early on to uh, Harris and uh, Elizabeth Warren, and she and took Biden. out Harris. Tulsi right. Gabbard, Tulsi Gabbard killed uh, in that debate. Yeah, right. She killed her campaign, and I just don't see. I don't know. I, I thought that Tulsi, she had she had all of the. Uh, if you had to make a checklist, if you wanted to 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 create the perfect candidate for the Democrat Party for president, if you wanted to get the if the Democrat Party really wants to have the first woman president, I mean, she checks them. She's eloquently spoken. She's uh, she's a veteran. She served her state well. She says what she believes. She's She's going to be very popular with a veteran, so that's going to take votes away from the Republican candidate because we're seeing it more and more that veterans are breaking with the Republicans. And name, I, name recognition is probably what got her, though. Um, and that, that plays a bigger role than you think. The candidate who's the best known is often the one people will go vote for regardless of ideology. Oh, I've heard of so-and-so, so I'm going to vote for her or him. And uh, that's why advertising dollars are so important <laughs> in political campaigns because it goes right to name recognition. How many uh, how many local politicians take out ads with you every four years? Is it, is it pretty much all of them? Um, it, this campaign cycle for these municipal elections in Russellville, all but one ran with us in the March uh, primary and then the July runoff, all of them advertised. I mean, it, it makes sense in a way because, especially if you're running in the city of Russellville, because every voter receives the paper. But not all, but the, the very overwhelming majority will run newspaper ads with us and then maybe half will run radio ads they're not as popular as newspaper ads um and then occasionally we'll have one here or there that that doesn't but we always run a free campaign candidate announcement we'll run a candidate announcement for anyone running for public office with a picture and a, a short bio or detail of, of why they're running and what they hope to accomplish. I think that's a public service that you need to do. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one last thing. Sure. Now you went to college at Texas, right? I did. You went to college at Alabama too, right? I did. How are you going to feel next year? <laughs> well, you know, that happened in 2009. Yeah. Uh, in the national championship stage. I'm Alabama all the way. I, I am a season ticket holder and I'm, gosh, 1989. That's 30, 30 years removed from Austin, Texas, even though I love it. So, I hope to go to the game in Austin because I haven't been back to uh, that stadium since I was in school. I'd love to go see the game in Austin, but um, I'll be uh, wearing 
crimson and white in some <laughs> I always wear crimson and white unless I go see Alabama play at LSU. Then I I don't wear school colors because it's too dangerous getting out of there. Yeah, they'll beat the crap out of you. But Isn't it's, that? It's, that's true. That's very true. It's the only place I've ever felt my safety was in jeopardy. It was leaving Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night. Yeah, Auburn, they, they handle it pretty well. Now, I know a lot of people, you know, Auburn's – I'm an Alabama fan also, but Auburn, you know, is our big in-state rival. But I've never seen it really outside of Jordan Hare or Bryant Denny. I've never seen it really come to blows like no, you do at I, LSU. And you'll get talking at all stadiums, but as far as, you know, feeling like you're going to get a – clubbed with a beer bottle in your head or some, you know, drunk mob of fans is going to get on you. No question Baton Rouge is the one place that, uh, that gives me that concern more than anywhere else. And, uh, I just won't go back to an Alabama LSU game unless it's in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> it's maybe not safe in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, really. <laughs> we haven't done as well in Tuscaloosa, that's for sure. They seems like LSU, their biggest wins over Bama in recent years have been on Alabama's home field. Yeah. Um, what's one thing that everybody needs to know about you that they do not know? <laughs> um needs to know i i don't know i i think i've probably had more about me in the public eye in the last 20 years than i would have wanted but um i guess i my wife and i are very big animal lovers one thing that i'm um really i used to live down on the lake on by or near Bates Landing boat ramp in Phil Campbell. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that was a place where people dumped dogs all the time. So we have six rescue dogs. Um, we keep them in a fenced-in yard so they don't run loose on the neighborhood. But uh, if I had the space and money to have more, I would have more. I'd love to start a no-kill animal shelter one day in Franklin County. Um, and um, I, that's probably something that folks don't know about me is, uh, you know, how much I love animals and particularly dogs. And uh, I keep I keep dog food in my car if I see a stray or something. I'll sometimes stop and leave food and feed them so that at least they have one good meal. Yeah. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for coming yeah, I on. Enjoyed it. I'm going to and... talk to uh, one of my friends who's uh, in one of these runoffs in the city and see if uh, I can get him to join me in one of these next couple weeks. Yeah, I've got, I've got some, uh, I've got some, it's funny that you talk about you being an animal lover because I'm actually uh, setting a date with the Colbert County Animal Shelter, mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to be talking to them. I haven't called them back, but I'm supposed to be talking to them and 
trying to, you know, get out because they have, they, you know, get out to work because they have such a rough time, man. I, I see it on Facebook all the time. And those yeah. animals, I mean, they, they, they at least give them a chance. Right. And uh, they're, you know, it's people. We have had you there. Yeah, hey. we had a kerfuffle. Yes, uh, I said people here will discard animals all the time, but then up north, there's families just looking to adopt rescue pets. So um, it's a shame that a lot of people have that mentality here, you know, just going and dumping animals. But that they do—that's the reality of it. Well, I enjoyed it, and um, I'll, um, I'll. Definitely be glad to visit with you again down the road. Yeah, we're talking. We're we're supposed to be getting a date set. Uh, Doug Jones, maybe, maybe that, that email that email has been sent, and I definitely kind of want to have you back on for that one because that one, I hope I know it'll be virtual, but you know you could actually be here with me, and we could pass notes about stuff that we wanted to know right. about. Okay. Um. Just let me know. Hope you have a great weekend. I hope you have a great weekend too. And everybody, that was John Pilati of the Franklin Free Press. You can follow them on Facebook at Franklin Free Press, on Twitter at FC Good News. And, of course, you can follow Cummings' Culture just about anywhere. The podcast is available everywhere. If you want to listen to us, you got an Alexa, just say, hey, Alexa, play Cummings' Culture, and we're there. We're everywhere. This has been episode four with john pilati and always remember i hope these podcasts find you in good health and remember i'm not controversial i'm just culture